Lord, we thank you that you haven't left us in darkness and in ignorance, but by your mercy you speak to us and you give us your word. Lord, we pray that you'd give us a clear understanding of what you are saying to us through your word today. Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts that are wise and put this into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage that we're looking at this morning is Psalm 1, as we've just read. Uh, In our time together this morning, I'd like to focus on three important truths that this psalm teaches. And the first truth uh, we can see uh, from verses 1 and 2. And that truth is, is that the blessed man is the man who delights in God's word. The blessed man is the man who delights in God's word. So let's look at the first two verses of this psalm. As we begin to read this psalm, we notice that the first word is the word blessed. Blessed is the man, the psalm begins. The word blessed is not a very common word used in our everyday language, so it's worthwhile for us to pause for a moment and consider what this word means. The word blessed refers to the state of happiness enjoyed by someone who is favoured or blessed. And in the context of this psalm, it is the person who is favoured by God, who enjoys his grace and blessing. It is not a superficial or fleeting happiness, but it is the profound joy of those who experience the grace of God. So who is this blessed and happy man? The psalmist goes on to tell us, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. In these two verses, the psalmist identifies the blessed man and he does this in two ways. Firstly, in verse 1, he identifies him negatively by describing what he is not like and what he does not do. And then secondly, in verse 2, he identifies him positively by showing us what he is like and what he does do. So let's firstly look at verse 1. What does this blessed man not do? The psalmist points out three things. The first is that he is someone who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The word counsel means advice, wisdom, or guidance. So he does not walk in the advice of the wicked. And to walk here conveys the idea of your lifestyle or your manner of life. So the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked is someone who does not live by or follow the advice of the wicked. Secondly, He also does not stand in the way of sinners. The way of sinners here is the sinner's path of life. It is all that is characteristic of the ungodly person's way of life. The things they do, the things they say, their behaviour. And to stand here refers to where one positions himself or where he stations himself, where he situates himself. And the way that you position yourself in the way of sinners is by making sin 
a habitual part of your life. And the third thing that this blessed man does not do is that he does not sit in the seat of mockers. Mockers in the Bible are often those who scoff at wisdom, who mock at the way of godliness and even ridicule God himself. The person who sits in the seat of mockers is someone who has gone further and further down the path of ungodliness so that they not only reject God and his ways, but they now make fun of them. So this then is the negative description of the blessed man, what he is not like. He does not live by the advice of the ungodly, he is not characterized by sin, and he is not a mocker. So what is he like, positively? Verse 2 tells us, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord here means the instruction or the teaching of the Lord. So what is being referred to is the word of God. This man delights in God's word. It brings him great pleasure. It is his desire, his longing. For this man, reading God's word is not a burden or an obligation, but it is his delight. He looks forward to it. And as the verse goes on, we see that he not only reads it, but he meditates on it. He reflects deeply. He applies his mind to it. He mulls over it and tries to figure out what it's teaching about God and what it's saying to him and how he should live his life. This man can't get enough. The word of God is his preoccupation He wants to think about God's word all the time, day and night. So we've seen from verses 1 and 2 that the blessed man is the man who delights in God's word. So why is this important for us to know? It is important for two reasons. Firstly, because it enables us to examine ourselves. Once we know who the blessed man is and what he's like, we can then ask ourselves, is this me? Do I fit this description? Am I someone who God calls blessed? We have seen that the blessed man is a holy man. He is not led by the wicked. He knows what is pleasing to God. He is decidedly God's man. He follows God. He loves God and wants to know him more. He delights in God's word. Are these things true of you? Are you holy? Are you set apart, devoted to God? Do you love him and delight in his word? It's important for us to know that the only way that this can be true of us is if we have been born again by God's Spirit. By nature, we are not like this blessed man. We don't want to live a holy life, and we don't delight in God's word. By nature, 
we have a heart of stone which is uninterested, unresponsive and at enmity with God. God has to take away this heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that wants to know him and obey his word. Has this change happened to you? If it has not, we need to know that it only happens when we come to Jesus in repentance and faith. God then gives us his Holy Spirit, which gives us new desires and new delights. The second reason why it's important for us to know and understand who is blessed is that it shows us where blessedness or true happiness is to be found. When we know who is blessed, we also know where blessedness is to be found. The psalmist makes it clear that true happiness is not found in sin. It is not the sinner who is blessed. This will stop us from envying the wicked. It will stop us from following those who do not follow God in the hope of finding our happiness. Most people in the world today think that they are happier and freer following their own ways rather than following God's ways. But God here has revealed his wisdom to us in this psalm. True happiness is found in relationship with him. And we're often prone to thinking that it can be our circumstances or the things that we possess that will make us happy. But none of these things are mentioned here. This is true happiness that is not dependent on circumstances or the things that we possess. By looking at the man in this psalm, it's easy to see where he thinks true happiness is found. He delights in God's word. It's easy to see where he's seeking his happiness. But what about you? Does the way that you live reflect that you believe that true happiness is found in relationship with God? Or are you tending to forget this? Has the thinking of the world influenced the way that you think? Has it influenced the things that you seek? What are you investing your time in? Are you seeking God in his word and meditating on it? Is this your delight? The second important truth that we can learn from this psalm is found in verse 3. And it is that the blessed man enjoys great blessings. The blessed man enjoys great blessings. The psalmist now goes on to show us what this man's life looks like and how he experiences blessedness. We have seen that this man is someone who feeds on God's word. So what kind of life does this result in? What kind of life does it lead to? The psalmist shows us the state of blessedness of this man by using the illustration of a tree in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. 
The first thing that we notice about this tree is that it is a tree planted by streams of water. This tree is supplied with what it needs to grow, flourish, be healthy and strong. This tree is in a more secure position than other trees that are not located by the water. And also note that it is not, a st- it is not just located by one stream, it is located by streams of water, so that if one stream should dry up, it has another one to draw upon. And this is showing us the way that God supplies this man with what he needs. He has God's word to feed and nourish him, so he grows godly and strong. He has God's wisdom to guide him. He has God's strength to sustain him and God's grace to forgive and restore him. He has all he needs to stand strong, healthy and secure because he draws on God's inexhaustible resources. We also notice that this tree yields its fruit in season. Because it is a healthy tree, it is a fruitful tree. It is a useful tree. It fulfills its purpose and it is a blessing to the people or the animals that may feed on its fruit. It is a reliable tree. It produces fruit when it is supposed to. It yields its fruit in season. This tree has not just had one good season, but it continues to be fruitful through every season. And where God's people are spiritually healthy, they will be productive in their faith, bearing the good fruit, the fruits of the Spirit, which are shown by their good works. They are eager to do good. They are pleasing to their God and a blessing to those around them. They don't just do this for a time. They go on from strength to strength, continuing to be productive. And whose leaf does not wither, Because they are sustained by God, when the drought or the heat comes, they don't wither and die, but they endure. The psalmist closes his illustration of a tree and then makes this summary remark, whatever he does prospers. God is growing and prospering this man. Even in the trials, God is prospering him spiritually. So from this illustration of a tree, we have a picture of the great blessings enjoyed by this man. It is a picture of security, vitality, strength and usefulness, all enjoyed under God's favour and provision. The psalmist wants everyone to see the blessed state of this man so that those who are not in it may be invited into it. They may be enticed to seek it for themselves. And also that those who are already in it may be reminded afresh of its goodness and be encouraged to continue in it. And this is important for us to realise as Christians. We need to understand the blessings that we have. 
if we as Christians, uh, we have, sorry, we have, we as Christians have all these blessings from God. We are supplied. We are secure in God. We will endure because God sustains us. We can live changed lives, fruitful lives, which are a blessing to others. The blessings for the Christian are great, even in this life. But most importantly, we are blessed in the life to come. We will stand in the judgment and we will be gathered with those in the assembly of the righteous to enjoy pleasures forevermore. When we know the value of something, it affects what we do. If we know something is priceless, we do all that is within our power to obtain it and to secure it. But if we are ignorant of its value... We don't really worry ourselves too much about it. And this is illustrated for us in the parable that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 13 of the man who finds hidden treasure in a field. When he finds it, he hides it again, and then in his joy, he sells everything he has and buys the field. To others who don't know about the treasure, this man may seem like a fool, but he knows the true value. As Christians, we have this treasure. God has given us the pearl of greatest price. As stated in Ephesians chapter 1, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But our problem is, is that often we're not aware or we don't fully appreciate the blessings that we have as Christians. And that's why later in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which God has called them. To experience the benefit of our spiritual blessings, the comfort, encouragement and joy, we need to know about them. We need to understand them. We need to take them to ourselves and apply them to ourselves so that they enter into our own experience. And this then points us back to the importance of reading, studying and meditating on God's word. For this is the main way that God has given us by which we grow as Christians. Understanding the great blessings we have will encourage us to continue to walk with God in the way of blessedness. It will comfort us in trials. It will prevent us from being distracted or diverted on our journey to our heavenly home. It will cause us to continue on earnestly to mend our pace and invest ourselves fully in it. And it will give us peace and joy as we walk with and serve our God. The third important truth that is taught in this psalm is that the wicked are not blessed, but are judged. The psalmist now moves his focus from the incentive to provide us with the warning about the alternative. At the start of verse 4, 
we read, Not so the wicked. All the blessings he has just described of the righteous man are not true for the wicked. The righteous man flourishes and is secure because God supplies him. This is not true for the wicked. The righteous man leads a productive and fruitful life, which is a blessing to others. This is not true for the wicked. Even in trials, God sustains the righteous man so that he endures and prospers. This is not so for the wicked. The wicked do not enjoy God's favour, but his face is against them. The psalmist has just used the illustration of a tree to show us what the righteous are like. Now he uses another illustration to show us what the wicked are like. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. When wheat is harvested, it's brought in from the field and it has a dry husk around the grains, like a dry outer layer. This husk or chaff is not desirable to be eaten, so it must be removed before different foods are made. To remove the husks or the chaff, the grain is beaten to loosen the husks from the grain and then it is tossed into the air. And because the chaff is very light, it is blown away by the wind and the grain which is heavier falls to the ground. The chaff is the refuse. It is undesirable. It is of no value and it is to be removed. Chaff is also light and very easily blown away by only a slight breeze. Chaff is the complete contrast to this strong, healthy and productive tree. The stability of the tree is contrasted with the vulnerable state of the chaff, which is here one moment and gone the next. We are shown here that the wicked are vulnerable and insecure because at any time God can choose to remove them from this life and bring them to his judgment. The wicked may think that they are secure, but God has placed them on slippery ground. God does not want, when God does not want to persevere with them any longer, he will remove them and they will be powerless to resist, just like the chaff that is blown away before the wind. When we get to verse 5, the psalmist finishes his illustration about the chaff and speaks plainly about the end of the wicked. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. This is where the path of the wicked leads to. It leads to God's judgment. God has set a day when all people will be judged. All people will be gathered before his throne of judgment, and God will make a separation between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous will be on one side and will be welcomed into God's kingdom to enjoy eternal life, but the wicked will be cast out of God's presence. They will be removed from all of God's goodness and grace which they have previously enjoyed, and they will be cast out into eternal fire. 
There is nothing good to be enjoyed in this place. There is only pain and misery and there is no hope of relief. We cannot understand the force of God's judgment. The wicked will not be able to withstand it. Are you prepared for this judgment? Are you aware that at any time God could take us from this life? If we are not believers in Christ, we are in a perilous and insecure position. Some may think that the health that they now enjoy or their youth, their resources or the care that they take in preserving their own lives makes them secure. But God is the one who gives life and he can take it away whenever he wants to. The very breath of our nostrils are in his hand. Have you understood that you will most certainly face God's judgment? Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It is certain God has made it clear and plain for us. It will be inescapable. God is not like a human judge who may accidentally overlook someone or something. Everyone who has ever lived and everyone who will ever live will be judged by God. All of us sitting here today will be judged by God. And his judgment will be perfect and complete. There is no possibility that a sinner will stand in the assembly of the righteous. There is only one way to stand before God in the judgment, and that is to have a perfect righteousness. God accepts nothing less. Even though in this psalm God's people are referred to as righteous, they are not perfectly righteous. It is true that they are changed people who predominantly or substantially are righteous, but they are not perfectly righteous. The only truly and perfectly righteous person is Jesus Christ, who never sinned. The only way that we can stand before God is if God himself gives us his righteousness. And this happens when we repent, turn from our sin, and put faith in Jesus. The sinner trusts that Jesus' death has paid the penalty for his sins. And this trust in Jesus, or this faith, is credited to him as righteousness. This is what it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 5. To the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Notice that it is to the man who does not work. It's not to the man who tries to earn it by his obedience, because it can never be earned. This is a perfect righteousness we're talking about. The only way to stand in God's presence is to have his righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So do you have faith in Jesus Christ? 
Does God count you as having his perfect righteousness? Has, has God given you his spirit? Has he, has he transformed you so that you fit the description of the blessed man in this psalm? If not, you need to repent of all sin and come to God for his forgiveness. God delights to show mercy to sinners. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. God has provided the way for sinful people to come back to him through Jesus Christ. So in closing, we have seen that the blessed man is the man who delights in God's word. And we've seen that the blessed man enjoys great blessings. And we have seen that the wicked are not blessed but are judged. And in verse 6, the psalmist brings these ideas together in a kind of summary statement. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It has been said that a good way to summarise or remember the main point of this psalm is by taking the first word of the psalm, blessed, and by taking the last word of this psalm, perish. The righteous are blessed, and the wicked will perish. This is the main message of this psalm. God here holds out for us these two ways for us. He shows us what they are like, and he shows us where they lead to. After Jesus returns, in 50 billion years from now, there will be only two groups of people. There will be those who are blessed with God in heaven and then there will be those who are cursed and suffering eternal punishment in hell. In this psalm, wisdom calls out to us. Wisdom appeals to us to walk in the way of blessedness and be not destroyed. Have you heeded this message Have you responded to this call? May God bless his word to us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that you have provided a way for us to be blessed, to stand before you in judgment. And we pray that all of us may walk in this way of blessedness and may enter into eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.